everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John. I'm going to be riding solo this week. No partner with me, no faith. It's just going to be me. You just get this one beautiful face this week, and that's going to be it. But don't worry, we got a great show planned for you. We got plenty of stuff to discuss, plenty of stuff to discuss in the world of physical media, what's coming in physical media. We're just going to talk all things movies, answer some of your questions. So either way, or even if Faith's not here, we're still going to have a great time. And right out of the gate, we got some news to cover because on Friday, Arrow Video announced their September 2023 releases and there was a lot of good stuff in there. And right off the top, we're getting Psycho 2, 3, and 4 on 4K. This is a UK only release, but 4Ks are region free. So if you live in the US like myself, you can import that here. Just remember that if it does come with some Blu-rays, they're more than likely going to be region B and you're not going to be able to play them on your 4K players or Blu-ray players unless they're region free, which is unfortunate because I felt like that would have been a great UK, US, Canada release where everyone could have got it because a lot of people are big fans of the Psycho movies, even Psycho 2 through 4. I know Shamrock Balls or David, who you guys might recognize from the James Bond podcast that we do, he's a big fan of Psycho 2, so I know he's really excited about this. I was talking to him about it, just like the original Psycho, which was released on 4k a couple years ago so we'll finally have them all in a complete collection now well you know it's not a complete collection because psycho still will be separated from it but to get the rest of them for a franchise that is actually pretty underrated in the horror genre a lot of people don't really talk about the psycho franchise they really just talk about psycho alfred hitchhot's classic but really the whole franchise is pretty solid at least psycho 2 is a good movie and there are people out there who like psycho 3 and 4 and then the other big announcement, I feel like, was Carlito's Way coming to 4K. And actually, they have a couple designs for this one. And there was a previous release on 4K that wasn't released by Arrow Video. And as uh, somebody pointed out to me, Rico Gomez, who you guys might recognize, he pointed out to me, that's probably why the previous 4K had actually dropped in price, because they were getting this Arrow Video 4K all ready to go. And I do love the artwork for this, so I'm going to probably be grabbing this one. I haven't seen Carlito's Way, I think, since like 2011 or 2012. It's been a really long time. I used to watch that one a lot when I was younger. My mom was a big fan of that movie. And, you know, that's a really good early 90s Al Pacino performance, kind of fitting in that area with Godfather Part 3, Scent of a Woman, all the movies he was really doing before Heat, where he really started to overact. You got a great ass, and you got your head all the way up it. You could argue that he's overacting in Carlito's way, but I actually really like his performance in there. And it's a real unconventional Sean Penn performance in there as well. So it's a really good Brian De Palma movie that I'm definitely looking forward to grabbing on 4K. And then there's got to be another limited edition release on 4K of Ringu. This is the movie that really started off the J-horror craze here in the U.S. Eventually, we would get a remake of this. Actually, one of my personal favorite horror movies ever is The Ring, which is the remake of Ringu, which came out, I believe, in 1998. And we're going to be getting both a U.K. and U.S. release of this on 4K as well. So that's pretty cool. I might end up grabbing this one because I do actually like Ringu. It's one that, uh, that's one of the J-horror films that I actually ran back to watch just because, you know, I'm such a huge fan of The Ring. I wanted to see what inspired the ring what was the remake of and it's a really good movie i still don't think it's as good as the ring that might be sacrilege to say but i think i've told you guys before the ring when it came out here in the u.s i think i was 10 years old that movie scared the hell out of me so it holds a special place in my heart because not many movies can scare me and the ring i still get that little itch up my spine every time i watch that movie so i'm definitely looking forward to ringu coming to 4k because i want to see if maybe they can replicate that again because i don't remember truly loving the movie the first time i saw it but it's definitely something i would eventually like to revisit and then here's one i've actually never seen apparently it's a huge movie in the jalo horror genre and that is 
Blood and Black Lace. That's getting a 4K release too. I believe it's UK only. That's one that I haven't actually seen, so I can't really comment too much on it. And then another movie that I actually haven't seen. And this one is just a US Canada Blu-ray release, and that is Borsalino. That's another movie I haven't seen. But really, Arrow Video, they really did some great work recently with the Mallrats 4K release and for the Waterworld 4K release. Those are the first Arrow Video releases I had bought in a pretty long time. And they got weird signs coming out, I believe, in August. So really, Arrow Video is starting to fire on all cylinders again. And I always have loved their restoration work. I've always loved their artwork that they put on the boxes, especially when they whip out the collector's edition sets. And that's actually what it looks like they're doing with Psycho here i'm not a huge fan of the box art that's actually on the psycho 4k exterior box the individual designs on each of the boxes are really nice but the exterior on the actual i'm assuming it's going to probably be a hardcover i'm not 100 sure on that yet but it's got like the curtain from like psycho over it so it kind of is trying to give that reflection of the mother or as we would later find out norman bates stealing standing behind the shower curtain and they were trying to put that shower curtain in front of the exterior box art which is a really cool idea i could see somebody be like you know in the boardroom like you know what i have an idea no hear me out hear me out we're gonna put the shower curtain from the first psycho over the cover of the box yes it's gonna look a little weird but i'm telling you it's gonna look good it's gonna look real good people are gonna like this and i'm not a huge fan of it so i'm not really too thrilled with that choice of artwork but you know what to each their own i don't know how everyone else feels about that but that's my only complaint and that's a real minor complaint because i'm very happy with what they're doing here with these psycho 4ks and it's also really not that expensive which i'm guessing is just because of the popularity of the psycho sequels a lot of people probably don't even realize there's that many psycho sequels out there so this is going to be a treat for them especially if you're one of those people that hasn't seen them like I said, this is one of the more underrated horror franchises out there. Many people just go right to Psycho and they assume that the franchise ended there or that there wasn't even a franchise, but there is. And there's definitely some films in there that you should check out, especially if you're a fan of the first Psycho. You know, don't expect the same exact thing. Psycho's a masterpiece, but you might get some enjoyment out of that, especially if you're a fan of 80s horror. And those were our really big announcements as far as news this week. We didn't really get any more announcements for upcoming 4Ks or anything that has been confirmed, but actually it's 4th of July here. Independence Day here in the United States coming up. So there's a lot of sales going on, but the big sale right now is the Criterion 50% off sale at Barnes & Noble. They do this a couple times a year, and I know a lot of people try and save up their money for this sale because Criterion really does have high-priced boutique label 4Ks or even their Blu-rays, and it's very accepted just because they put out such great work. They always spring for all the bells and whistles. Their restorations are always the best. You get great cases. You get great artwork. Sometimes you get a really nice pack and book, and you also get some great transfers, like with great audio and great visuals. So they really might be a little bit expensive, but it's definitely worth it, especially if you've bought them from them before. You know how good the quality of these movies is wow this has just been such a pleasure I, i'm such a lucky boy so for this 50 percent off sale the prices that they're charging it's a steal and you could actually pre-order some stuff in there i was, I was able to pre-order john luke goddard's breathless on 4k which comes out on july 18th for only 27 bucks so that's kind of a steal but you can also pre-order some other stuff for future releases but unless it come unless it's coming out in july from what i'm able to tell those stuff will get the 50% off price, while the other stuff will get like 30% or 20%. Because it's 30% off the MRP listing, it actually ends up being like what the original price would be anyway. So it's not much of a sale there as far as pre-orders, but as far as the July pre-orders, it's definitely worth it. And anyway, I thought I'd give you guys some recommendations of movies you should grab in this Criterion sale.
well, especially if you're a fan of Criterion. So one that came out last year is 1992's Malcolm X. This is one of my favorite movies ever. I think it's the greatest biopic film that's ever been released. You know, it's Denzel Washington starring as the title character of Malcolm X. He should have won the Academy Award for this, but unfortunately we had to give it to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman to make up for the Godfather movies. And then actually on that very same day back in November, I believe, they released Wally in the same Digibook packaging, which is Criterion's, you know, their best packaging that they can release. And they released Wally on 4K. And this is another one of the best releases I think that Criterion has ever done. This is when they first teamed up with Disney. So far, this is the only release we've gotten with them in Disney to have one of Pixar's best films and one that I think definitely fits into the Criterion collection because the first half of this movie is mostly a silent film. So it's really much more of an elevated film from Pixar and Disney and I think it fit perfectly into the Criterion collection and again it's actually an upgrade over the Disney 4k so if you have that again 50% off pretty much a steal for this because for both of these because these are some of the best 4ks you can even get bar none and they actually also have some box sets on sale and I'll recommend this every time that they do that and that is the Before Trilogy. Before Sunset, Before Sunrise, Before Midnight. These came out nine years apart each. And these are some of Richard Linklater's best films. They star Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley. And all three of them are just a snapshot into their lives. In the first movie, they meet on a train. Then they spend the night together. The second movie, it's them reconnecting, rekindling that old flame. And then the third movie is just a peek into their lives in the present day. Or at the present day at the time. As they've become married, had kids. And now they're just living their life. And it's just really very philosophical philosophical nothing happens in these movies other than these three other than these two people having a conversation and yet somehow they are the most captivating films you'll ever see so definitely check out the before trilogy and then one of the first 4ks to ever actually come to the criterion collection was menace to society and i absolutely love what they did with the packaging here but these discs are pretty damn good too so i definitely can recommend menace to society if you haven't seen it this came out in the early 90s we have a question about menace to society so i'll save my thoughts on this film till then and then last but not least and i'll recommend it every single time is the noir classic directed by bill duke back from 1992 and that is deep cover starring who i think is the most underrated actor of all time and lawrence fishburne you also get jeff goldblum in this movie and this movie is fantastic it's so beautifully shot and also, it really is one of the better undercover cop movies. You know, there's a lot of those out there. There's a dime a dozen for those kinds of movies. But this, I think, might actually be the best one ever. And nobody ever talks about this movie. And that's really saying something for a genre that features a lot of movies like this. But, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne turns out a great performance. I just love the look of this movie. And the Criterion Collection did a great restoration of it. So, if you haven't seen Deep Cover, that's one I can highly recommend you get from the sale. But also, guys, make sure you're checking Best Buy, Amazon. They're all doing their own 4th of July sales groove.com is doing a 4th of july sale so there's plenty of ways right now to save some money on some 4ks that maybe you were waiting to drop in price that just keep a lookout for anything that maybe you had in your carts that you've been waiting to get you know sometimes amazon price matches so make sure you're just cross-referencing all of the stuff and you could probably save yourself a little bit of money and if you guys are a part of the poor people party like myself you're really going to need a good deal and there's plenty going on this weekend it's probably the last week of big sales we're going to have until probably labor day in september so other than Amazon Prime Day, which is coming up, I think, in a few in a couple weeks as well. And they don't really promote their sales until it happens. And they also have the lightning deals. So when that comes, we'll talk about sales again there. But but right now, definitely check all of these sites. And you'll probably get yourself something that you really want. But one thing I wanted to do this week was talk about my top five favorite films and my top five favorite 4Ks that have come out this year. We're about halfway through the year. It's July 2nd on the day of the show. So that means we just passed halfway. And it's time for us to rank what we have loved so far 
far this year on 4K and on film. And I haven't seen every movie this year, and I haven't seen every 4K that's come out, so I'm only going to rank the stuff that I have seen. As far as movies go, I really think that if I gotten a chance to see Past Lives, it hasn't gotten to my area yet. You know, it's still kind of on a limited release from A24. It never really went wide, and it might not go wide, so I live in an area that might not get that movie yet. You know, even though I live close to New York City, for some reason, it doesn't reach the east end of Long Island that quickly. So I haven't seen Past Lives yet. That's one I definitely want to check out. And I feel like it would make my top five this year. I also haven't checked out Bo's Afraid yet. That's another movie I like, Ari Oster's film. So there was a chance, an outside chance, that that could have made my top five so far. So we're going to do movies first. And the number five is a movie I just saw a couple weeks ago. And that is Elemental from Pixar, which is not doing good at the box office, which is really a shame because this is one of the movies that actually got me emotionally, where I got that chill up my spine where I you know I felt like a tear was gonna go running down my cheek it really had that old Pixar feel and unfortunately Pixar is just not had the best of luck as it's gone over the last couple of years really since onward when it was one of the last movies in the theaters before the pandemic came and shut them down so they didn't end up making their box office and then Disney started sending all of Pixar's films right to Disney Plus for free really making the market for Pixar films on Disney Plus so people weren't really trained to go back to theaters to see their movies so movies like Lightyear from last year didn't do well at the box office but yet they've had some gems in there like Turning Red. Turning Red was one of the best animated films to come out last year and is easily a top 10 Pixar film and so is Elemental. Elemental might not crack the top five but it really has a lot of heart behind it. It has some of the best animation that the studio's ever done, which is not saying much because Pixar always is the king of when it comes to their animation. But to see this movie not do that well at the box office when Pixar used to be a juggernaut, I really want to see them get back on the right track. It's really not their fault. They're still doing great work. I mean, I think they should concentrate less on making sequels, like with the rumored Toy Story 5 coming out. I think they should really get back to what really made them magical to begin with. You know, they're only putting out like maybe one movie a year. Now, sometimes we get up to three movies a year from Pixar and you're watering down which was a great product it's like Studio Ghibli you know I really have always felt like Pixar and Studio Ghibli are the leaders when it comes to animation and then Leica Studios is not too far behind or Walt Disney Picture Studio but now you can argue that Pixar might be behind both of them so it's pretty disappointing and it's really not their fault because I feel like their quality hasn't dipped I didn't think Lightyear was that great of a film but it wasn't an out and out failure I don't think Pixar has ever put out a failure so it really hurts me to see Elemental doing this bad right now just because, again, it's not like the film quality is bad. It's just that we have been trained now to know that it's going to eventually end up on Disney+. Plus. I think that streamers just really have hurt the market as far as films go. That's why last week we didn't have a movie crack $20 million at the domestic box office in the summer, in June. That makes absolutely no sense. That's when people are going to the movies every single week to see movies. At least that's what I was doing when I was a kid. Once the summer went, once the summer came around, I was out of school. I was at the theater at least once a week seeing something. And it doesn't feel like that's the case anymore. And I get that. The world has changed. People can just stream stuff at home. You know, it's really only a 45-day window until these movies hit streamers. And depending on what studio released them, you can probably just get them in your regular streaming price. Like Peacock, if it came out from Universal, like a movie like Knock at the Cabin. That's just going to be on Peacock in 45 days. So it's really disappointing to see what's going on right now just as a fan of theaters myself. Yes, I'm a physical media collector and I love watching movies at home just as much as I love going to the theater. But I really do love going to the theater. That's my church. That's where I'm at my most peace. You know, you could forget about the world for two to three hours when you're at the theater because nothing is supposed to interrupt you when you're there. Just watch the movie and enjoy yourself. And to see the theaters struggling, it does hurt me personally just because it's something that's been a 
huge part of my life since I was a child, and it still is a huge part of my life. I still go there at least once a week, so I want to see theaters succeed. Yes, they're big corporations, all this uh, we're talking about, and you know, you don't want to see them really taking advantage of the little man like they're going to continue to do. I still do love movie theaters, and I really want to see these certain studios continue to have success and then at number four i got john wick four the sequel to the first three john wick movies and this one arguably is the best in the franchise at least it's getting close to john wick number one and this one really turned up the action no scenes were wasted we get like three climaxes in this movie all three of them are great we ended on an awesome duel it's one of the most beautiful looking movies of the year i haven't gotten my hands on the 4k yet but i still really enjoyed the film itself and then at number three is asteroid city from wes anderson so if you're a wes anderson fan you know how good this movie is if you've seen his movies you know exactly what you're getting yourself into as far as the visual style and the dialogue and the way it's delivered you're going to love asteroid city if you're a fan of his movies and i really do think that this is a typical wes anderson movie People have described this as the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movie. And I completely agree. You know, he doubles down on everything that he does in all of his movies. It's also a very beautiful looking movie, whether it be in the black and white sequences or in the color sequences that have like this technicolor feel to it. You know, you get the sets that are obviously sets. You get a lot of big name actors in here. Tom Hanks, Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman, who has obviously been working with Wes Anderson since 1998's Rushmore and plenty of other sp- characters. Maya Hawke stole the show for me in her little bit in her little scenes that she's in everybody gets those little scenes they all do a great job with it and asteroid city is just you know it's a movie for me i know it's not for everybody but for me it is right now the third best movie of the year and then number two which was my number one but i've been going back and forth on that is air directed by ben affleck starring him and matt damon jason bateman this movie is fantastic you can watch this for free right now on prime but we are going to get a blu-ray release of this which uh which is something I'm actually pretty excited about. You know, we don't always have films that go directly to streaming. Even though this didn't go directly to streaming, it did have a theater's run, but it was produced by Amazon. They footed the bill for it, which I believe was like 80 to $90 million. So it was a pretty expensive movie, and I don't think it made close to that at the box office, but it'll probably recoup it through Amazon subscriptions and through Blu-ray if people actually go out and buy it. And I think I'm going to end up grabbing it because I do truly love this movie. It feels like a throwback to a movie that we used to always get. You know, these inspirational stories. Even though, how can you say Nike is an underdog? They are, at the time, an underdog in the basketball world. They were not firing on all cylinders in comparison to other companies like Adidas. You know, you gotta remember this at the time. Run DMC, my Adidas. My Adidas walk through constant doors. The Adidas jumpsuits that I wish I could pull off. You know, that was all going on at the time. So, Nike wasn't the big dog in basketball that they are now. So they gambled on Michael Jordan. It's showing how Matt Damon's character really felt like they should take their whole budget and put it on him. The gamble would pay off, and it sure did. You know, Michael Jordan doesn't actually pop up in this movie. We only see, like, the back of his head and stuff like that. Really, Viola Davis, who plays his mother, she turns out a great performance in this movie as well. Everyone does, but, man, if you're a fan of the 80s, the 80s soundtrack that's in this movie, I've been listening to it ever since the film came out. And, you know, I forgot how much I like the song Big Country. This movie reminded me of that, and I really enjoyed Air. But it's not my number one film of the year so far. That is going to go to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Man, this is one of the rare five-star films we've gotten this year. 10 out of 10. You know, we don't get those every year. You get maybe one or two a year, but this one definitely is. The animation is gorgeous. You know, we get to continue our stories with Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen. We get introductions to new characters, Easter eggs to plenty of other Spider-Mans. 
And then really the animation though. I can't say a bad thing about the animation at all. If you didn't like the animation from the first film, I still say, hey, check this one out because the animation in this one is gorgeous. They double down on everything, but yet they add some new styles. So everyone has like an individual animation art style to them. So if you're a fan of animation, this is the one that you're going to want to see. It's one of the best animated films ever. Ever. Forget just the best Spider-Man film ever, which I think it probably is. It's either this or Into the Spider-Verse, but I think Across the Spider-Verse actually is a step up. And even though we're not too sure yet if Beyond the Spider-Verse is going to hit its March 29th, 2024 release date, it still is something that I'm really looking forward to, even if it doesn't come out on that date, just because I can't wait to see the sequel. And it's supposedly going to be the end of Miles Morales' story, but... Even if we don't get it in 2024 and they have to delay it, I say delay it, get everything right, don't rush this out because you've already set up the possibility of a great conclusion to what has so far been a fantastic trilogy of Spider-Man films. So that's my top 5 films of the year so far, but how are my top 5 4Ks of the year? Well, we'll start it off at number 5, which is a Warner Brothers release, one of the ones they've put out for their 100th anniversary this year, and that is Cool Hand Luke starring Paul Newman. They put out three movies, I believe, that month. They put out The Maltese Falcon, Rebel Without a Cause, and Cool Hand Luke. And I thought Cool Hand Luke was the best of the three. All three are great transfers, but this is the one that really stood out to me as far as visuals and audio goes. It was a big jump from the previous Blu-ray. It's also a fantastic film. And at number four, we get an 80s classic, one of the rare musicals that I actually like, Streets of Fire, featuring a young Willem Dafoe and a young Diane Lane. This movie features music from guys like Jim Steinman, who wrote all of Meatloaf's hits, well, pretty much all of his hits. Anything that you guys remember from, like, Bad Out of Hell 1 and 2, Meatloaf's one of my favorite artists, so I'll go off on a tangent on that. Not going to do that. Just know that Jim Steinman wrote some great music, and he wrote some great music for this movie as well. All the music is really good throughout. Tells a great story, but this 4K, visually, this is gorgeous. I don't know why they don't bring this one up more when I'm looking at lists, because, yeah, I know it's a Shout Select release, and we didn't get the best box design as far as the artwork goes no slip cover but really my god the visuals and audio on this are perfect so really that's one that so far will probably make my end of the year list and at number three speaking of shout factory we're gonna have to go with scream factory's release of the exorcist 3 one of the most underrated horror films ever especially from the 1990s this one doesn't get brought up a lot it stars george c scott it's the real true sequel to the exorcist you know, ignore The Exorcist 2, never watch it unless you need something to go to sleep for. But The Exorcist 3 is fantastic, features one of the greatest jump scares in film history, and this is a fantastic transfer from this. And number two is another Scream Factory release, and this one they really sprung for all the bells and whistles for. I just reviewed this this past week, and that is Creepshow. This is actually an update from the previous Blu-ray that Scream Factory had released, but this is actually probably one of their best-looking transfers they ever did, and that's just because this is a very colorful movie, but maybe you don't remember how colorful the movie was. Well, this 4K is going to remind you. You know, you get those great Tom Savini effects in here, the red and blue lighting that's featured in a lot of scenes. It all just is going to pop off your screen now. The audio is solid. There are so many extras, and you get a reversible slipcover. If you bought this through Scream Factory, there's plenty of different collector's editions. It really did everything for this release, and it really deserves it. Creep Show is one of the best horror movies ever, and is absolutely the best anthology horror film that's ever been released. I mean, you get Stephen King and George A. Romero, two guys who are kings in the field of horror, whether it be in film or in writing, teaming up. And man, they really knocked it out of the park with this. Creepshow 2 is pretty good too. Maybe we'll get that in a 4K release sometime down the line. I'm all in on that because that's still a pretty good movie. It doesn't though hit the highs of the first Creepshow because there are segments in the first Creepshow that are going to stick with you forever. But then at number one, I have 
Thelma and Louise from 1991, directed by Ridley Scott. I think this is his third best movie behind Alien and Blade Runner. But this is a masterpiece in itself, and I really enjoy the soundtrack to this movie. I enjoy the story. I think that Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon are perfect in this film. You get a young Brad Pitt really firing in all cylinders here, playing this naive asshole who's, you know, kind of a robber, but he's still somehow got some charm to him, and he really does charm Gina Davis, let me tell you. Now, the visuals in this movie, it's a beautifully shot movie to begin with, but this 4K is going to enhance all of that and because the amount of extras it is a three disc set so you're getting the 4k and everything on the blu-ray and the second blu-ray there's so much here for you i mean it really is the true definition of a collector's edition i believe i gave this a 10 out of 10 i'm not 100 percent sure if i did but if i didn't it absolutely deserves a 10 out of 10 it is very rare with having the channel where i'm able to watch movies twice in a week i used to go and to the movies and re-watch a movie if i really enjoyed it while i was still in theaters i don't have the time anymore i have to really keep moving on to the next thing so unfortunately Unfortunately, I don't, I don't even get to rewatch movies that much, but I watched this 4K on a Tuesday and I had to show my wife it, so we rewatched it at that weekend, and I loved it just as much the next time I watched it. It's a fantastic film, but the 4K, it's like getting into an old car that's got a brand new paint job on it. You know, you like, you feel it again. You feel like, oh man, this is why I fell in love with this. And it's just like that. Falling in love with this movie all over again. Getting in a time machine to 1991 and just trying to remember, wow, damn, that was a good movie. Even if I wasn't alive in 1991. When I first saw this movie, I loved it. And I've loved it ever since. And I really do think this is one of Ridley Scott's classics. For a guy who's directed so many classics to be in his top three. And I'm putting it over Gladiator. I know Gladiator has its fans. It's a good movie, but... It's not Thelma and Louise. So those are going to be my top five 4Ks of the year and my top five films of the year. Make sure you guys let me know what your top five of the year so far are. You know, remember, I haven't gotten to review every single movie that's come out this year on 4K or in theaters. So there might be some stuff that's missing that people say are great. I just haven't gotten my hands on them yet. I'll try and get my hands on every 4K release before the end of the year. You know, money pending because money's a real thing and I don't have a lot of it. So hopefully by the end of the year, I can give you guys a full definitive ranking of at least most of the 4Ks that have come out this year, as long as, you know, I can grab them in some sales. And thanks to Rico Gomez for always updating me on sales, so I could always tell you guys that information as well and help to save you guys some money, because that's the name of the game. As movie collectors, you guys know, it's a very expensive hobby to have, because some of these can get really high up there. Like, I really want that trauma collection that comes out next month, but if I can't get that down in price from like i think it's 93 dollars, and maybe have trauma send it to me i've tried to reach out to them they actually apparently their headquarters are not too far from me it's in long island city i live on long island so it's not that far away you know maybe i'll have to go there and knock on their door and ask them they're like hey big fan of the toxic avenger here give a copy here to daddy i don't know if they'll go for it but i'll give it a try but we're going to dive into the Q&A portion of the show, and our first question, speaking of Rico Gomez, came from him, and he asked, Since you are a young movie lover, I have a question for your Sunday show. When you were starting out watching movies on video, did you by any chance listen to professional movie reviewers like Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to get an idea of what to watch and what to avoid? Like, do you look up their review shows of the 70s, 80s, and 90s? Ah, uh, yes, I'm actually a big fan of Siskel and Ebert, and I have gone back and watched it. I did watch it, actually, when I was younger. It was probably the end of their run because I know that Gene Siskel passed away at a pretty young age from cancer and I remember that they were replacing Roger Ebert with other people and I mean replacing Gene Siskel with other people working with Roger Ebert. I remember watching those shows and then once YouTube came around I was always a big fan of film criticism and you know Siskel and Ebert I feel like if you're a fan of film criticism they're the top of the mountain they're the kings listening to podcasts about their story how they got started out from the late 70s how they didn't like each other you know they both worked for two different 
rivaling Chicago newspapers, but you got them together and they've turned into this phenomenon where people would go to them for film recommendations. You know, Roger Ebert is probably most famous for not liking any 80s horror movies. You know, he's pretty much crapped on all slashers from the 80s. But, you know, his opinions might be a little bit outdated now, but they are still some of the best movie reviews that you can find. And going back and just seeing what they thought of movies you like, especially at the time, they also have done some retroactive reviews, mainly Roger Ebert, because, again, Gene Siskel did pass away at a pretty young age. But I was a big fan of Siskel and Ebert. Still I'll still go back to watching them. Um, you know, the critics that really got me into, like, film criticism, though, besides them, like, I kind of got into the YouTube space. Like, I remember thinking back in, like, 2012 or 13, I'm like, you know, this would be a genius idea if people were doing video reviews on YouTube. And that's where I found guys like Chris Stuckman and then Jeremy Johns, the Schmoes No show. And, you know, that show, those variations of those shows are still around and everything like that. But that's really where I got into film criticism. And that's really where I learned that that's something I would eventually want to do. Tommy just had to be right. I didn't believe I could actually do it just because of financial reasons. But look at us now. We're doing it, guys. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Siskel and Ebert. And I still, to this day, will go back and watch some old Siskel and Ebert reviews. Just because they have great delivery. And I also really do enjoy their banter. You could just see that they both would stick to their opinions. They wouldn't back down to it. You know, they would listen to the other guy. They would respect the other guy. But they would still give their opinion no matter what it was. I think it was Roger Ebert was talking to somebody. I can't remember what talk show it was. And he was basically insulting the movie. Oh, it was Chevy Chase. Yeah, he was insulting the movie that he was in. I think it was Funny Farm, which is a terrible movie. But he was talking to him about it and telling him how bad of a movie is right to his face. And you got to respect that about Roger Ebert. Like, that's the thing about being a film critic. Whatever your opinion is, you have to stick to it. You have to be honest. You can't lie. Like, that's one thing that I feel like a lot of people get worried about when they're especially when they're reviewing movies or 4ks on youtube is they don't want to upset anybody and unfortunately in this business you are going to absolutely upset people because you have to be true to your opinion you can't make everybody happy and the thing about film itself is it's very subjective so everyone has their own opinion on a movie like there's a movie i can go into and just absolutely love while the guy who sat next to me watched the exact same movie he could absolutely hate the movie and it's completely understandable and that's why i think that we have a good space here where a lot of people for the most part there's always some bad eggs that respect each other's opinions of movies and 4ks you know and i felt like that was the same thing with siskel and ebert even if they disagreed they still respected each other's opinion as long as you're able to explain why you like something more than why somebody else does explain what worked for you what didn't work for you i always think that that's the important key don't just try and you know rile people up just to do that that's the internet world we live in the twitter space where people just say things because they want the attention where it's not actually something they believe i think if you're going to be a film critic the whole key to that is being as honest as possible with the people who read your reviews, watch your reviews. Don't lie, because I feel like most people are going to see through that. That's my opinion, though, so, you know, take my opinion for what it is. He also asked us another question, which is, also, you said you are you like The Exorcist 3. We've talked about it. Have you seen the movie The Ninth Correlation from 1980, which is directed by the director of The Exorcist 3? I actually haven't seen that movie, but I'll definitely check that one out now, especially since I really, like you said, I truly do love The Exorcist 3. I think it's one of the most underrated horror films ever. I think The Exorcist 2 really had done some damage to that movie, unfortunately, where people weren't going out to see it. But I'm hoping with that Scream Factory 4K release, more people check that out because it really is a fantastic early 90s horror film. So anyway, thank you, Rico. And moving on to our next question. 
which is our Kevin L questions of the week. And he says, what are your favorite scenes from the following movies? Miami Vice. So this is one I actually just rewatched this week because of this question. And that movie, as far as scenes go, I think the stuff I like most is stuff that they really were inspired by from the show. Like the scenes where... You know, they're on the speedboat and they got the music playing and it just becomes like this cool movie. Now, the movie itself, I don't think it's one of the best looking movies and that's intentional was shot with digital cameras, similar to the digital cameras that they used on Collateral, but I really feel like they doubled down on it here and it actually works better because the visual style of this movie is gorgeous. It's just not something that might be for everybody but it is something that like if miami vice for the 1980s was really capitalizing on the 80s styles this feels like a very much a mid-2000s crime film if you've seen movies like brooklyn's finest or collateral you know that this look was very popular in the time where it was down and dirty and gritty supposed to look like boots on the ground kind of look to it where you felt like you were there the only problem with this movie is the audio is not the greatest but i i guess if i was picking a favorite scene it'd be like in the very end of the movie the final fight scene when we get the cover of phil collins in the air tonight which is a throwback to you know obviously one of the most famous scenes from miami vice I'm driving in the car and so that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie and at number two you said halloween four well if i'm picking a favorite scene from halloween four it's probably exactly something they tried to remake in halloween kills is when everybody in the town is getting together they finally have realized you know what the only way to stop this guy is if we do it ourselves and I truly love that part of this movie when they actually end up getting together and doing that. And they end up gunning him down. And we think he's dead. Halloween 5 let us know that actually he wasn't dead. He was just hanging out with a guy in his shack on the edge of the water for about a year. Healing him and then eventually he would kill him. So that's probably my favorite scene from Halloween 4. And then Spider-Man 2002. So I don't know if I've told you guys this before. But I haven't seen the original Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, and Spider-Man 3 since 2007 when Spider-Man 3 came out. After Spider-Man 3, I just never went back to the Sam Raimi spider-man movies so i haven't even revisited this movie since 2007 i'm getting ready for spider-man 3 but my favorite scene in the movie probably the randy savage versus toby Maguire in the cage match i got you for three minutes that's probably my favorite scene in that movie i really enjoy that scene uh what's his name bone saw buzzsaw i always thought that movie, that scene was pretty great for a movie i'm not a big fan of the toby Maguire spider-man movies and i really think that i should go back and revisit them just because spider-man 3 just left such a bad taste in my mouth that i just never felt compelled to rush compelled to rush back and see them but i i think it's time i think i've healed enough knowing what happens in spider-man 3 with emo peter parker and uh, the dancing uh, my god i sat on the floor of the theaters to see that movie if you guys can believe it and then point break ah point break is one of my favorite movies probably ever so this movie my favorite scene from it uh, there's actually a lot to pick from but i'm gonna guess it's the last bank robbery scene when they bring keanu reeves along with them they don't give him a mask because they want his face on camera they give him a gun though and you know the just the way the smoky look of the bank it's gorgeous and they have this smoky look it's very much like in the Catherine bigelow style of the time where it's just got this like haze over everything and i absolutely love this bank robbery scene i love the ex-presidents robbing the bank all those bank robbery scenes are all some of the best in film history they just don't get brought up a lot you know this is one of Catherine Brigolo's best movies you know you get some great performance in here you get the Swayze Express you get John C. McKinley in here turning out you know one of his great asshole performance young dumb and full of cum Gary Busey before the brain damage I mean I absolutely love this movie Utah give me two so great, great, but I'm going to go with the last bank robbery scene. And then uh, Twister. Twister's a tough one. Bill Paxton, 
Uh, what is the best scene in that movie? There's just a lot of great visual stuff in this movie as far as the twisters go. It was actually kind of ahead of its time because the CGI in this movie is surprisingly done very well. It holds up compared to a lot of movies of the time. Maybe that's because they didn't do an overabundance of it in the movie. Now, there's times where it does look ugly, but for the most part, this is just a really good, entertaining movie. But I think some of the my favorite scenes are going to be the chase scenes when they're chasing the tornadoes. But when you get Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt in the car together talking about their ex-husband and ex-wife... So getting them to look back on their lives. And actually, this is the movie that I uh, first saw Philip Seymour Hoffman in. So between this and Along Came Polly, those are my introductions to Philip Seymour Hoffman. So if you, I had no idea that the guy was that good of an actor when I first came to them. So I probably came to both those movies. Probably Twister first in like the late 90s. And I think Along Came Polly is like 2004. So I was like, you know, 12 years old. So I hadn't gotten into Philip Seymour Hoffman's back catalog. And I didn't really start following along with the movies that he would become most known for. Where he'd win Academy Awards or even movies like Mission Impossible 3. You know, I didn't really get to see the Philip Seymour Hoffman that we would all know and love eventually. I was a little bit late to that party, but Philip Seymour Hoffman is also great in this movie. It's just, just like kind of bumbling idiot. Just a guy on the team. That's all it was. But he was still game to do anything. That's one thing about Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was one of our national tre treasures. It's really a shame that we lost him. And then last but not least is Back to the Future. Ah, favorite scene in Back to the Future. It's got to be the last scene at the, you know, the clock tower when he's got to get sent back to his time. He's got to be sent back to the future. But Back to the Future is a stone-cold classic. Sorry, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. You know, Crispin Glover. This movie is an absolute 10 out of 10 masterpiece. I wish they would have stopped at the first one, but I get it. You know, in a movie like this is such a hit, such a staple of the 80s. But I'm going to go with the very last scene where he's got to get sent back to the future. And then even going into the very, very last scene where we finally see he's got the truck. We see Biff is, uh, you know, he finally got his comeuppance and he's working for Crispin Glover. You know, I love all of that. Basically, just really play. It's just such a well structured screenplay, and then it's just directed so well by Robert Zemeckis. And you got the Steven Spielberg fingerprints all over it as, you know, the Amblin Entertainment kind of produced film it all works so well with back to the future i absolutely love that movie so we got another kevin l question and this one says how would you rank the following performances in terms of favorite what you think is the best jack nicholson and a few good men tom cruise and magnolia ben stiller and happy gilmore jim carrey and dumb and dumber denzel washington and training day tom hanks and forrest gump and adam sailor and billy madison so i'm gonna go in order you gotta put jack nicholson and a few good men at number one and you know i mean he only did 10 days on set from when i remember Remember, but he really steals that movie in the scenes he's in in a movie filled with great performances from everybody i'm talking even Kiefer sutherland kevin bacon turn out great performances and they don't even have big roles but forget it, you got tom cruise kevin pollock demi moore everybody is firing on all cylinders but yet jack nicholson comes in basically says hey i'm fucking jack nicholson walks in the room steals the entire movie with two scenes essentially you know once in cuba and then once on the stand where you know you want the truth you can't handle the truth, or you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall. Perfect, for, perfect, perfect acting by a perfect actor in Jack Nicholson, one of the best to ever do it. And this is what he was doing in the late 80s, early 90s. Just go back and watch movies like 
broadcast news. You know, he just pops up, steals the movie, and leaves. And this is that was his thing. He was one of the best cameo actors. Matt Damon's trying to take that throne now, where he just would pop up, where he just pops up in movies for a couple scenes, steal the show, and walks out. So Jack Nicholson was doing it though back in the late '80s, early '90s, to amazing effects. So that's my number one. And then at number two, I'm actually gonna put Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. This is a very underappreciated performance as far as comedies go. And people, comedies just don't get the recognition that they deserve. I'm a big comedy fan, but they're always seen as like second tier films because they can't compare to like the Academy Award winning films. But you know, the Academy, they're very highfalutin, and they're only gonna really pick the things that they believe are you know things that are gonna have a message to them, things that are going to really tell a true story, a true dramatic story that has to have high stakes. Why can't we just laugh at some idiot, just a bumbling idiot, stumbling about through the world, just trying to make the best of it, and yet somehow he keeps lucking into these situations, him and his buddy. I mean, Dumb and Dumber is one of my favorite movies ever. It's one of the only comedies to make my top ten all time, but it's the greatest comedy to ever exist. It's funny throughout. You know, I know it's dumb jokes, but they're very smart dumb jokes, if that makes sense. It's such a well-written screen played by the Farley Brothers, so well-directed, but Jim Carrey is amazing in that movie, so that's my number two. Denzel Washington in Training Day. Training Day is very uneven for me. It's not my favorite Denzel Washington movie, but Denzel Washington's performance won him an Academy Award is well-deserved. What I think hurts uh, Training Day for me, honestly, is Ethan Hawke. I love Ethan Hawke, but I don't think he's well-cast in this movie. I don't know. I've always just felt like that. I just always find his character to not be operating in the same movie as Denzel. I get what he's going for, this naive cop who's just had his world flipped upside down, but I don't think Ethan Hawke performed it perfectly. And I don't mean to insult him because, I abs- like I said, I absolutely love Ethan Hawke. I pretty much love him in everything. Dead Poets Society, you know, like I was just talking about the Before trilogy. Sinister is one of the most underrated horror films ever. You know, Black Phone that came out last year. He's a great, great Brooklyn's Finest, which is, again, working with the same director as this film, so he can do it. I just don't think that his performance is that great in this movie, but still, Denzel Washington is great. And then after that, I put Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump. Won him an Academy Award. I don't think it's his best performance. I know a lot of people, I think it's the cool thing now to do to not like Forrest Gump. I get it, you know, especially if we're talking about the boomer generation. That's like kind of the big topic on the internet right now. Is like this is a very much a boomer movie, but it's still a fantastic, feel good movie filled with great performances. I absolutely still love Forrest Gump. I will go back. If I'm in a bad mood, that's one of those my bad mood movies where I know it's going to cheer me up. So I always will put that on. So that's pretty high up on my list as well. And then I'll put Adam Sandler and Billy Billy Madison. Now, this is the definition of a stupid movie, but I truly love it. It's one of my wife's top three favorite movies of all time, but I've seen this movie a thousand times. I mean, it's ridiculous, but Adam Sandler, he's all game. This came out, I believe, the same year as Happy Gilmore, which would be my last ranking, which is Ben Stiller and Happy Gilmore. Have to put him last because he just has a small role in that movie, but, I mean, he steals the movie. I don't even think he's credited. See the name tag, Grandma? You're in my world now. I brought it up on the channel before, but the best line in the entire movie is like when the old lady goes, my fingers hurt. Oh, your fingers hurt? Well, now your back's going to hurt because you just pulled landscaping duty. Does anybody else's fingers hurt? I mean, those scenes 
are perfect. And Ben Stiller is one of the, again, one of the greatest comedic actors. And just to pop up in a small role around in this movie, I think this came out around the same time as Heavyweights and The Cable Guy. So, you know, Ben Stiller was kind of finding his footing still in the comedic world. But really after this, he would take off the Ben Stiller show, Zoolander, Meet the Parents. He'd become one of the biggest stars, not just comedic stars after this movie. But, ah, man, Happy Gilmore is fantastic. So thank you, uh, thank you, Kevin L., for both of your questions. I love both of them. You know, you always ask some of the best questions. I always love questions that make me rank things or give my favorite scenes in movies. I really do appreciate that. Kevin L. sends them in every week. Thank you so much, Kevin. And then speaking of ranking things, Lorenzo Harris, man of God. These are, this is actually going to be the last question of the week. And he said, rank these. Number one, Boys in the Hood. Two, Menace to Society. And three, Training Day. So I like I was just saying about Training Day, that would probably be my number three. And it's not Denzel's fault. It's just Ethan Hawke. I don't really love his performance in that movie. And then at number two, I'm going to put Menace to Society. Now, I truly do love Menace to Society. That Criterion 4K is amazing. It's got a great message in there. You know, Menace to Society, you could say, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Boys in the Hood. Because Boys in the Hood kind of just set up this where the studio would have faith in these types of movies. You know, they didn't have where they weren't making these types of movies. But then at once Boys in the Hood came out, we got a ton of them in one shot. You know, we got South Central also that came out around this time we got juice so this was kind of a, a genre that they started making at the time and we got a bunch of them almost in one shot from like 91 to like 94 and then you know they kind of got sprinkled in there but not like it was in that three-year run where everyone was trying to copy what boys in the hood was doing and that's why boys in the hood would be my number one boys in the hood is john singleton's best film you know, he came out of the gate hot with that movie. And then he was making some other movies throughout the 90s. I know my wife really loves Baby Boy. I think Too Fast, Too Furious is one of the most underrated movies in the franchise. John Singleton just wanted to make a fun car movie, and he did a great job. I think he was the first one to really get the cameras to move around in the way that would follow throughout the rest of the franchise. John Singleton doesn't get the credit for it. And then he was also one of the producers on Snowfall, which became one of the most popular FX shows. So John Singleton had a really great career. We lost him at such a young age. You know, we really didn't get to see what else he could do. It seemed like he was going to have a career resurgence with Snowfall, but unfortunately he did end up passing away. But he still made one of the biggest masterpieces of all time in Boys in the Hood, which features my favorite Lawrence Fishburne performance. I mean, he is so good in this movie. The fact he doesn't even get an Academy Award nomination should just tell you what the Academy was doing at the time in 1991. Because not only should he have been nominated... But he should have won for his supporting role in this film. Cuba Gooding Jr. turns out his best performance in this movie. You know, he probably couldn't ever recapital. I mean, you, he did win the Academy Award for Jerry Maguire. But after that, it was kind of all over for him. Snow Dogs, I think, really. Snow Dogs and Radio really hurt his career. But again, he turns out a great performance in this movie. The movie itself is a tale you should watch. And I mean, the end of this movie is just absolutely heartbreaking. And it started the acting career of Ice Cube. So... It's definitely one you should see if you haven't seen it. This also has a great 4K that I think you should check out. So I could definitely recommend Boys in the Hood. So it would go Training Day at number three, Menace Society at number two, and Boys in the Hood at number one. Thanks, Lorenzo. I really do appreciate that question. But anyway, guys, that's going to do it here for me in another episode of Let's Talk Physical Media. I hope you enjoyed the show. I know it might not have been as entertaining without Faith being here, you know, for us to have our regular banter. It's just kind of me, like, giving you guys my thoughts. But I hope you still enjoyed the show. I hope you guys, if you live in America, you enjoy the holiday. Maybe you get a long, extended weekend like myself. I had to work a little extra to get the extended weekend, but... I do get a couple of days off now to uh, reevaluate my body and to decide if it's uh it's still in good shape after what happened this week at my job. So 
we'll go from there. But anyway, guys, thank you so, so much. And if you guys want to ask some questions for next week's show, Faith will be back. Make sure you leave those questions in the comment section below, or you can wait till the post that comes out on Wednesday. And if you're listening to this on all podcast services, please give us a five-star rating to have Apple keep pushing it. But if you're watching this on YouTube, nothing helps this channel out more than by just liking this video, subscribing to the channel, telling all your friends. We're almost at 2,000 subscribers. And when we hit that, we're going to be giving away a Blu-ray copy with the slip cover on it for Skinnamarink, which came out from Shudder. I actually did a short review here on the channel if you want to check that out to get my thoughts on the film. But we'll be giving that away when we hit 2,000 subscribers. So I just want to thank all of you so much for being a fan of Let's Talk. And I hope you guys are enjoying the channel. I hope you enjoyed this week's show of Let's Talk Physical Media. And we'll be seeing you around. Mm-hmm.